All right, you turn to Mark 4. I'm sorry, that's not even Mark 4. I'm excited if you, if you hadn't figured that out, right? Um, you turn to Mark 11. Amen. You turn to Mark 11. And um, we're going to camp out there tonight. Um, but just uh, because of our study and our series, I want to um, begin by reading uh, Hebrews 4 to you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So, um, Mark chapter 11. Amen. And um, we'll begin at verse number 12. Praise God. Have you found it yet? Amen. I really want you to be able to see this tonight. The Lord's going to breathe on some things in our lives tonight, I think, and really help us uh, in some areas. Praise God. All right. So before we get to Mark 11, let me read Hebrews chapter 4 to you. And I'm going to read the first two verses from, from 14 and 15. I'm sorry, the first two that I have in my notes. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now there's other passages in Hebrews that also mention you and me holding our confession, or that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. The context of us being tested, tempted, or tried is within the context of the enemy trying to apply pressure to you and me to get us to change, back down from, turn loose of, or walk away from our confession. Now, the word confession here means to say the same as. If you confess to a crime, it means that you say the same as that crime. So we think of confession, we think of somebody confessing to something. Amen? But confession is more than that. A faith confession is when you say the same thing as God, or you say something in alignment with or in agreement with Him, in alignment with or in agreement with His will for your life. Now, we said that to walk by sight is to align your thoughts, words, and actions with the way things look, seem, or feel. But to walk by faith, the way God created us, designed for us to walk, to live. Remember, any step outside of faith is a step towards an inferior life. To walk by faith is to align our thoughts, words, and actions with what God said even when there's no evidence in our lives that what He said is true or is coming to pass. Now, before we can really build on this, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us to go back to Mark chapter 11. Now, in the course of our study of tests, trials, and temptations, because we said that tests, trials, and temptations are a testing or a trying or a tempting of not you personally, but of your faith. And faith is when your ability to believe connects with something God has said. Your heart, with the heart of man or woman, believes your heart, Jesus said, was like soil. The Word of God was like seed. And when the perfect, incorruptible seed of God's Word comes in contact with good soil in your heart, it's going to create or cause positive results to be produced in your life. Fruit to be produced in your life. Somebody say amen to that. That's good news right there. Now, 
throughout the course of our study, we've kind of gone back to, and we did it a little bit last week when we were talking about Peter walking on the water, and when he was focused on Jesus, he walked on the water, but when he began to think, he began to sink. When he, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on the circumstances, aligned his thoughts, words, and actions with what was going on around him, how it looked, seemed, and felt, that's when he began to sink. Basics of faith. That's what I mean by faith basics. Now, if there is... I guess, in the Word of God, uh, key verses, uh, platinum text, if you will, to teach us about faith. It's right here in Mark the 11th chapter. Now, I want us to begin with verse number 12. Mark 11, verse 12. It says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And the he here is Jesus. And seeing from afar a distance a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. His disciples heard him say this. Now, in verses 15 through 19, Jesus is going to go into and cleanse the temple, going on into Jerusalem. And then they're going to finish that, and the, when evening had come, verse 19 says, He went out of the city. Now, in the morning, verse 20, so we've basically got some semblance of you know, a day that has passed, give or take a few hours. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Now look at me for a moment before we read any further. There are a lot of people who have found a lot of truth in these passages. And I've heard teachings about the fig tree representing Israel and the leaves representing end times. I'm not saying that that is incorrect. But first things first. And if this account recorded in Scripture is about anything, it's about faith. It's about faith first. I'm not saying it's not about other things, but if it's about anything, it's about faith. You know, people say, well, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? It's an object lesson. He's trying to teach His disciples something, and we are His disciples. He's trying to teach you and me something tonight. It's not just about what those twelve following Him were to learn from this. It's about what you and I are following Him and what we are to learn from this tonight. Amen. Are you hearing me tonight? This is important. So when they're amazed at the tree that has withered now very quickly, the tree that Jesus spoke to, Jesus answers their amazement by saying to them individually, specifically to you and me tonight, individually, specifically, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, i got to stop again. Anytime Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, for assuredly, 
what is about to follow is going to be astounding. It's going to be so important and so astounding that if you're not careful, it's going to sail right over your head. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to be so powerful. It's going to be so integral to, to your life and the life that He created you to live. It's going to seem so impossible. It's going to seem so untrue that there's potential for you to dismiss it or doubt it. So this is why He prepares us with, I'm telling you the truth, most assuredly, truly, truly, what I'm about to tell you is true. Don't miss it. Grab hold of it. It's extremely important. For assuredly, I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain... Now, if you understand where Jesus was geographically, He's pointing to a mountain on one hand, and there is a sea out in front of Him on the other. So this was a visual for the disciples. He says, whoever says to that mountain, be removed and cast into that sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things He says will be done, He will have whatever He says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Am I reading from the Bible tonight? Am I reading words that came straight from the Master's lips tonight? Am I reading things that Jesus, truth, the Word of God made flesh, truth in human living form, speaking truth out of His mouth, said to us, is this something we can bank on? Is this something we can build our lives on? Is this something that we can learn from, put into practice in our lives, and see increase come into our lives? See results produced in our lives? See some things that need to change in our lives, change in our lives, if we'll learn what Jesus is revealing to us? In different places throughout the Word, specifically in, in, in parables that Jesus said, he, he looked at His disciples, and, he, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm the New England International Translation. He's saying, gentlemen, what you're hearing right now has never been heard by human ears since the foundations of the earth. He's revealing truth. He's revealing secrets. He's revealing mysteries. He's revealing things that have been hidden that He is now revealing. He's unpacking, unwrapping, and handing out these gifts of wisdom and understanding and truths. Things that we may take for granted, my friend, but until Jesus said these words this way, it had never been heard like this. It had never been explained like this. It had never been taught like this on planet Earth. And oh my goodness, how there is still so much misunderstanding and confusion around these extremely, extremely important passages. So I want to make sure before I go any further that you understand what's going on here. Jesus and His group of disciples, they're headed into Jerusalem. Jesus is hungry. There's a fig tree with leaves. Jesus goes up to the fig tree. There's no fruit on the tree. Jesus, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't kick the ground. He doesn't spit. He's not mad. He just simply looks at the tree and he says to the tree, let's just, we got a tree right over here. Let's, you know, it's a fake tree, right? But let's just say that's the tree. And Jesus just simply says to the tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And he went on his way. 
Now, the reason the tree withered at its roots is because everything God created, he created with a purpose. When Jesus took fruit-bearing purpose away from that tree, he took the purpose away from the tree. The tree no longer has a reason to exist. Because it no longer has a reason to exist, it withered and died. But he took the purpose away with his words. He spoke to the tree. He didn't poison the tree. He, he, he didn't cast some spell on the tree. He just simply spoke to the tree and went his way, and the disciples followed him. I can kind of picture them, maybe I'm wrong about this, I can kind of picture them behind him looking at each other going, what did mean? What was that about? You know, it's like, don't ask me. I don't know what he's doing, right? You know, so they go, they do all that, they have their thing, and as, as they were supposed to do, I don't mean to trivialize, that was important. Then they turn around, and they're leaving the next day, and they're bebopping along, and the same tree is like, crisp it's dry it's dead it's withered and they're like what in the world Jesus look like Jesus didn't know or Jesus missed it or Jesus you know, can, can't you, I'm being silly here can you imagine Jesus going wow what happened to that tree you know Jesus pauses there. I, I can picture him standing by the tree, the disciples looking at him, you know, one side, the tree on the other, and Jesus looks at them and he says to them, you have faith in God. What's implied by their, check out the tree, Jesus. How'd you do that, Jesus? What happened here, Jesus? How is it that this tree was healthy yesterday and dead today and all you did was speak to it, Jesus? They're trying to put all the emphasis on Him. After all, He's Jesus. He's the miracle worker. He's the one born of a virgin. He's the one that's walking on water. He's the one that's doing all these things. Jesus turns it right back around and says, You have faith in God. For most assuredly I say to you, whoever says to you're almost expecting him to go something really small, like smaller than the tree, like beginner level stuff. Whoever says to a yapping puppy, be gone, and stomps its foot, the little yapping puppy will leave. You're almost expecting it to start like with something really simple. No, no, no. He doesn't like back down from the tree dying because he spoke to it in faith. He takes it to the most extreme thing on the horizon, a mountain. And he says, whoever, not just me, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that whatever he says will come to pass, he will have what he says. Wow! Wow! Do you see why he said most assuredly? Do you see why he said truly, truly? Do you, want, do you know why he said, get ready, brace yourself, I'm fixing to tell you something that don't seem right, but I'm telling you it's right. He's talking about faith. Is faith powerful? Is faith powerful? <laughs> you better know it's powerful. Do you have faith? Yes, you do. Don't you dare say no. Romans 12 says, verse 3 says, he's given to every person a measure of faith. It's in you. Faith's in you. We still don't know how to do it. We, we don't know how, what to do with the faith. We don't know how to use the faith that he's been given. You, maybe, but it's there. Now, verse 24, 
we'll come back to later, but let me read it again. Therefore, in light of what I've just taught you, I say to you, again, he's speaking to them, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What did Jesus just do? He just introduced to you and me a new form of prayer. A form of prayer that involves you and me speaking the answer directly to a problem. Up until this point, all we've really understood about prayer is praying to God the Father to do something on our behalf. Praying to God the Father to ask Him to intervene on our behalf. We've got some obstacle, we've got some problem, we've got some mountain in our lives. And so, the, what we understood about prayer until Jesus taught us this was, our Heavenly Father, would you please uh, help us and would you please do something about this obstacle, this mountain, this problem in my path, in my life, in my way. But notice, Jesus is saying, speak the answer directly to the problem, directly to the situation. If you have an obstacle, use the authority, use the keys to the kingdom that you've been given and the authority and position that you've been given to speak the answer directly to. And He called it prayer. In other words, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, Jesus called that prayer. Now, what most people do with this is they say, yeah, but He was Jesus and, and, and we're not. Well, you are His body, but that's another sermon for another day. But that, that argument won't hold water because after He did it, He said, whoever says, whoever says, all right, now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to point out a couple of words before I go any further. Whoever, whatever, are those words in this passage. Whoever says, and whatever you say. How many of you know whoever means everybody that will do this, right? Come on now. Got any whoever's present in the room tonight? You are a whoever. If you want me to go King James on you, whosoever. Praise God. Now he said, whoever believes in their heart that whatever they say. Can I tell you what this is tonight? And you know I love them. You know anytime I find one in Scripture, I love to shout it from the rooftops, right? We just found ourselves another master key, Todd. We just found ourselves another master key. In modern buildings, you can have, you know, five-story building, 85 doors in that building. Every one of those doors in that building can be keyed differently. But somewhere, somebody's got a master key. And that master key will unlock whatever door you need unlocked. If it'll only open certain doors, it's, it's not a whatever key. It's not a master key. 
But if it'll unlock whatever, if it'll change whatever, if it'll move whatever, if it'll make alive whatever, if it'll kill whatever, if it'll alter whatever, what we just found here is a master key. It's a master key of faith. It's a master key on how to use faith. How faith was designed and intended to function and to work in your life and in my life. Now listen to me. I know some of you have some understanding of these things already. Some of you, this is like a whole new thing. And you're like, Pastor Mark, what in the world are you saying? Am I got the right church? Have I got the right pastor? What is this all about tonight? See, again, the devil never wants you to know this. He wants you to keep wallowing around, trying to believe God, trying to move mountains with your faith, and never understand the simplicity of how it is all designed by God to work. Now, let's zero in on what I consider to be the heart of this heart of faith. And that would be the phrase in verse 23, and does not doubt in his heart. Can I just be real with you tonight? Am I the only one that, I'm going to say in the past, but am I the only one in the past that's like, I knew there was a catch. You know, I knew. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, some deal that seems too good to be true, you know. You're looking for the catch. You're looking for where the, you know, the sheik who died and left you in his will in Saudi Arabia and wants to give you a million dollars. And you go, yeah, man, we're rich, right? But there's always a catch. There's always something that kind of excludes you. There's always something that kind of, you know, oh, well, no wonder, right? And so I think many times we've looked at this and, and does not doubt in his heart, and, and we read this and we go, well, there, that excludes me because I'm, you know, I have problems, I have doubts, I have issues with doubt, and since I have doubt in my heart, this somehow excludes me from all this. Please, let's, let's quit letting the devil use that against us. Okay? So again, back to the heart of this heart of faith. Does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says. I've used this example a time or two here recently, but if you take coals of fire where a fire has been, it can look like the fire is out, but if you, if you breathe on it, sometimes those coals will, will come back to life. If there's any live part in it, it will glow red when the air is put to it. Are you, are you following me? Okay. And we, and we said that... that that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit can lead us and teach us is that He will start to breathe on certain things, certain portions of Scripture, even a specific word or a phrase within a Scripture or a passage or a chapter. Um, the Lord started breathing on Ephesians, for instance, in my life many years ago. And we've been teaching on Ephesians now for I don't know how long on Sunday mornings, right? And so in this particular passage, using that same example... The Holy Spirit breathed on this one part to the point that it glowed. I, I'm not, I don't mean like literally glowed, but in my heart, in my mind, 
it glowed. It was like it was being highlighted. It was like it was, sometimes you could even use this expression, it was like it jumped off the page at me. Amen. Now, here's, here's the question. Does not doubt but believes what? This is important now. Jesus said, if you do not doubt but believe, you have whatever you say. I'm not trivializing this. We, we, we live in a, in a world of Hollywood. We live in a world of, of superhero action movies. And, and it's almost like when you hear this, it's, it's almost like some kind of superpower. Have whatever you say. Yeah, right. No, no, no. Yeah, right. Does not doubt, but believes what? Believes everything's going to work out okay? It's not what he said. Believes that the mountain's going to move one day? Does not doubt but believes God's going to move that mountain for me? Does not doubt but believes it is possible for a mountain to be uprooted and moved into the sea? None of these are what Jesus told us to believe and not doubt. Even though this is where people often try and go with their faith. In other words, we try to use faith to believe everything's going to be okay. We try to use faith to believe that, that one day the mountain's going to move or that God's going to move the mountain for us. We try to use faith to believe that, that well, you know what, it seems impossible for a mountain to be moved and cast into the sea, but with God all things are, are, are possible, even things that are impossible with man, possible with God. And so we try to use our faith to believe that God's going to move the mountain, it's possible for the mountain to move, that the mountain's going to move one day, and that eventually everything's going to work out okay. None of these things, none of these things are what Jesus told us to believe and not doubt. Jesus did not say, if you believe the mountain will move, it will move. That's not what He said. He said, if you believe whatever you say will come to pass, the fig tree will die. The mountain will move. Your body will be healed. The key here is believing whatever you say will come to pass. This never was about a mountain or a tree. Those were nothing more than object lessons for you and me to understand the bigger point. The bigger point here, the more important point here, the thing that we need to understand about faith is faith is about believing what you say will come to pass. If you can believe what you say will come to pass, then whatever you say will come to pass. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I'm not asking you to answer me. I'm just asking, answer inwardly. 
Do you believe whatever you say will come to pass? What is doubt? Doubt is questioning whether or not what you say will come to pass. That's doubt. Yes? To doubt in your heart, the context here is not doubting whether or not the mountain will move. The doubt is doubting in your heart whether or not what you say will come to pass. The faith here is have faith in God. What does he mean by have faith in God? Have faith in God that whatever you say will come to pass. Are you seeing this? Oh my sweet Jesus, I want you to see this. Uh, my prayer is that this comes alive in you the way it's been coming alive in me. Doubting here is not doubting things aren't going to work out. Doubting here is not doubting that the mountain's going to move. Doubting here is not doubting that it's even possible for mountains to move in this manner. According to Jesus, doubting is questioning or not believing what you say will come to pass. Does not doubt but believes what? Does not doubt but believes that whatever you say will come to pass. It wasn't so much that Jesus believed the fig tree would die. Listen to me now, please. See, I think, I think a lot of us, and there's been elements of this in my life, is I'm sitting there looking at the fig tree going, you know, die, I'm believing you're going to 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 die. Jesus didn't walk up to that fig tree and say, you know what, I believe you're going to die. No, Jesus believed that whatever he said to that fig tree would come to pass. And so he simply said to the fig tree, let no man ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus knew that by saying it that way, and he said it, he's led of the Holy Spirit, right? He didn't say a word unless the Father told him to say it. So when he says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, Jesus knew that that would come to pass. And since seed time and harvest will not cease, that's the, that's the greater law at work here, the, the only other option for that tree was to cease to exist. So he, in essence, killed it. But he didn't say, because there's no fruit on you, I'm believing for you to die by this time tomorrow. It's not what he was believing. His faith was not in the death of the tree. His faith was in whatever he says is going to come to pass. You see the difference? Are you seeing the difference here? It wasn't so much that Jesus believed the fig tree would die as it was He believed whatever He said would come to pass. He spoke to it and did not wait around to see if it worked or if anything was going to happen. This is where the devil gets us so many times. We're not feeling well. We know what the Bible says. By His stripes we were healed. We know what the Bible says. He healed them all. We know what the Bible says. He had rather suffer for you than you suffer for one more second with any kind of sickness or pain or disease in your body. He, crea he created your body to heal itself. God is not the author of sickness. He never has been, never will be. His desire, His will for you is to be whole, well, and strong just like any parent in this room 
want your children to be healthy. So we rise up in faith. We pray. We speak to our body. And then we see if anything's better. And because it isn't better, get Pastor Mark lay hands on me. Because it's not better, because we still hurting in our hip, because we were hurting in our hip when we came down there. Well, Pastor Mark must not have had it tonight. Brother Copeland said something's changed my life. He said healing comes every time. Every time a prayer for healing is prayed, healing comes. It's not always received, but healing always comes. Jesus didn't wait to see if the fig tree was going to die. He didn't wait to see what was going to happen, if anything was going to happen, to prove that he had the faith to destroy that tree. He spoke to it. He walked away. Now when they come back the next day, Jesus is not surprised, but the disciples are. The disciples on the other hand saw nothing change when Jesus spoke and were surprised, amazed, shocked to find the tree dead the next day. Jesus, on the other hand, was not amazed at all because He believed in His heart whatever He says will come to pass. Can I go a few more minutes? It's not a trick question. Follow me, please. From a natural or physical perspective, is it possible for me to kill a fig tree or move a mountain? Just, it's not a trick question. I'm going to ask you to just, let me, let me ask the question one more time, then I'll give you the answer. I'm, a, I'm, I'm asking you questions I want you to think. From a natural or physical perspective, is it possible for me to kill a fig tree or even move a mountain? Well, the answer is yes. Matt said sure, and he's right. If I have the right tools, if I have confidence in those tools, and I know how to use them. Now, again, for some reason it's all over here tonight, okay? But let's just imagine we've got about a, I don't know, a 30 foot by 70 foot mountain here and we've got a well established really large fig tree right here and David I got to go kill that tree and move that mountain with my bare hands well I mean I can start trying to rip branches off of it and work and work and work and work but even if I could somehow get that tree almost down to the ground I still ain't killed it because it's in the roots right now I've got to start trying to dig with my hands on. So it's going to be just about impossible, but perhaps over time I could, I, could, I could do something to kill it, right? But what if I had a 55-gallon drum of concentrated Roundup? See, now I've got something in my possession that I can use to kill that fig tree if I have confidence in it and know how to use it. Now, if we're talking about a granite mountain, Tim, I, with my bare hands, I mean, I might could elbow smash it a few times, but... But what if I had a truckload of dynamite? 
See, now I've got something in my possession that I can use to apply to the mountain to remove the mountain. Are you following me? Now, Roundup, by the way, is a weed killer. It's a poison you spray on plants. You with me still? If you've ever sprayed Roundup on weeds, you know nothing happens immediately. The weeds do not wither and die until days after the application. When I use Roundup, my faith is not in the dying of the weeds, but in the power of the Roundup I applied to them. Jesus' faith was not in the dying of the fig tree. His faith was in the power of the words that He spoke to that tree because He believed in His heart that whatever He says will come to pass. I do not have any idea how Roundup kills poison ivy. And I don't have to know how it does it to believe it will. Right? I don't know how Jesus' words killed that tree. But, but I don't have to know how his words killed that tree to know that his words killed that tree. I don't have to know how my words can produce healing in somebody's body. I just got to know that if I speak in agreement with God's Word, whatever I say, if I believe it in my heart, will come to pass. You, seeing what, you starting to see what Jesus did for us here? He put it all in reach for us. He put it all in reach for us. I don't have to have a master's degree in chemistry to use Roundup. Roundup is a tool I use to do what is naturally impossible for me. Kill weeds. Something I can't do naturally. I can't wish the weeds away. I can't want them gone bad enough to make them go away. I can't ignore them long enough to make them go away or pretend long enough that they're not there to make them go away. Nor can I wait long enough to make them go away. Waiting, wanting, expecting, hoping, denying, and ignoring are all things often substituted for or associated with faith, but these alone will not kill the weeds or get the results you need in your life. I'm going to finish right here. Because, listen very carefully now. Remember, Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray... So is desire a factor in our faith? You better know it is. Is waiting a factor when it comes to faith? You better know it is. Is denying and ignoring a factor in our faith? You better know it is. Is waiting, expecting, hoping, is that, is that factor in our... You better know it is. But see, we've got to understand how this works. 
So let me see if this will help you. Because of my desire for weeds to die, and because I believe in my heart whatever weed I spray with Roundup will die, after I have sprayed it, I will wait patiently and confidently for the results. Denying the weeds right to exist any longer in my life and ignoring any thought that the weed is still alive even when it looks as healthy as it did before I sprayed it. That one, was that a sentence or two sentences, whatever it was? It's one of the most powerful things the Lord ever showed me about faith right there. Because of my desire for weeds to die. Faith's got to begin with a desire. What things wherever you desire. Because of my desire for weeds. See, but some people say, well, you just don't want it bad enough. That's the reason your faith's not working. You just don't want it. See, everybody takes an aspect of this and tries to preach faith as it pertains to this, right? There are even people who say God tests your faith because He's wanting to see if you do indeed want it bad enough. Like He knows everything, but He doesn't know how bad you want something. So ridiculous. Because of my desire for weeds to die, I've got a problem, I've got a need. I'm, I'm ready for change. I want something better. I want something different. Tired of hurting. Because of my desire for weeds to die, and because I believe in my heart, whatever weed I spray with Roundup will die. Whatever mountain I speak to will move. Whatever sickness I curse will leave. Whatever devil I bind has to go. Because I believe in my heart, whatever weed I spray with Roundup will die after I have sprayed it, after I have spoken to it, after I have declared, thus saith the word of the living God to this mountain, this obstacle, to this pain, to this problem, I will wait patiently and confidently for the results. Denying the weed's right to exist any longer in my life. Why? Because I spoke to it. I sprayed it. And I will ignore any thought that the weed is still alive even when it looks as healthy as it did before I sprayed it. All right? I said I was going to finish and I'm finishing. What if there was something after you sprayed a weed with Roundup You pulled out of your right holster another chemical that canceled out the Roundup. Now, for those of you who have nice plants, don't try this at home because I don't know of anything that you can spray on Roundup that'll cancel out Roundup. But I'm just for the sake of the analogy. Are you with me? Bunch of water within 30 minutes. Bunch of water within 30 minutes. Okay. And that's usually about how long it takes for somebody to speak 
against what they, yeah, okay. So you spray it with Roundup, then you spray it with water, then you spray it with Roundup, and you spray it with water, and you spray it with Roundup, and you spray it with water, and you spray it with Roundup, and you spray it with water, and you go, that fake stuff don't work. This Roundup is garbage. I've sprayed it on my plant 17 times, and they're still just as healthy as they ever were. Now, when it comes to faith, there actually is something that'll negate. That's when you say, I'm healed, and then you talk about how bad you feel. It's when the poor man says, I'm rich. Because you got in here on a Wednesday night hearing Brother Matthew talk about singing in a ditch pipe and faith got stirred up in you and you got all excited about Jesus and you said, I, I may be broke right now, but the Bible says let the rich man say I'm rich. Let the, let the poor man say I'm rich. Let, 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 the, let, the, let the broke man say I'm rich. Let the, let the weak man say I'm strong. That's what I'm trying to get out, right? You get all excited about that. Then before you go home, 30 minutes later, you're talking about how weak you are, how poor you are, how nothing ever works out for you again. See, you just... You, 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 just, you just unleashed a five-gallon bucket of doubt on your Roundup. You see why we began in Hebrews 4? Hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. And wait patiently and confidently for the results. Deny that pain's right to exist in your life and ignore any thought that says it's just as bad as it was before I spoke to it. Because if you believe in your heart that whatever you say comes to pass, you will have what you say. I made myself a big sign this afternoon. I put it right there beside my computer, and it simply says this. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. Come on, can you say it with me? I believe... Say it after me. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I believe in my heart whatever I say will come to pass. I'll say it 10,000 times before you go to sleep tonight. And I'm telling you, you will give the devil stomach ulcers before daylight. Right? There's a reason why religion fights this. There's a reason why religious people, men and women, have written very thick books about this doctrine, denying it, discrediting it, uh, dismissing it. It's because they're being used by the enemy. His worst nightmare, ma'am, I'm telling you, is the, day, is the day that you and I realize 
how all this works. That's why when you release your faith, he's on you like a chicken on a June bug to get you to pull back, to get you to turn loose, to make you think nothing happened, nothing changed. You got caught up in the emotion. There's no such thing. You're just as sick now as you ever were. And if you don't do something about it, it's going to get, get worse. And you sitting there acting like fate's going to make some difference. And who do you are to think you believe God after all the mistakes you've made in your life and you're going to try to act like you're some fate maestro or something. He just blah, blah. Why is he doing it? Because he knows that whatever you say is going to come to pass if you believe it in your heart. So the only way he can stop it, the only way he can stop it from coming to pass is to get you. He can't, he can't spray the water on it and get rid of the He can't do it. He's got to get you to do it. Punk, I ain't giving it to him no more. I ain't doing it no more. I ain't saying, I ain't listening to him no more. Come on now. I believe whatever I say will come to pass. I believe that in my heart. Mm. Sweet Jesus, stand with me tonight. I can preach to dawn, I believe. Praise God. Mm-mm-mm. Now listen, here, here's what. Here, you do whatever the Lord leads you to do, okay? But see, you get fired up about something, you want to go start speaking about 50,000 things, all right? Let the Lord show you what you need to release your faith and His Word, the mountain, the obstacle, the fig tree, whatever it is in your life, right, that's just taking up space and not producing any results that needs to go. I said, whatever's taking up space in your life that's not producing any results that needs to go, let Him show you whatever the next obstacle is in front of you. And then let's release, let's release our faith to that. And, 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 and let's believe that we received when we pray and we will have whatever it is. We will possess. We will hold in our hands whatever it is if we do not doubt in our hearts. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of these men and women in this room and, Lord, for the, for the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we've received from you. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us. Lord, I know that some folks are like, this is over my head, Pastor Mark. No, 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 no. It's the devil lying to you. It's not over your head. It's not over your head. The chemical makeup of Roundup and how it works is way over my head, but I don't have to understand all that. I don't have to understand all that. Listen to me now, please. I don't have to understand all of that to use it. Amen. So, Father, I pray for that one in here tonight that may be saying, I don't understand this. I'm not getting this. This is too much for me. I don't. No, no, no. Father, I thank you for helping them tonight lay hold of these truths. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in us and you're with us and you're teaching us and you're leading us. We thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much again for being here tonight. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. We'll see you on Sunday, if not before. Good things.